Why are you guys here this morning? This is holiday weekend. You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be at the beach or the lake or the river or camping. No, no, no. I don't want you to leave. This last two Sundays have been great. This attendance has been strong. And on Sundays where, you know, school is about to start, you expect it to be a low day. And yet, I uh, look out here and I see uh, well over... Uh, at least around and maybe a little above our average attendance. So thank you for being here this morning. Uh, it's good to be here on this uh, first Sunday of September, uh, the inauguration of uh, one of the best seasons of the entire year, the fall, if not the best, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Cooler temperatures, uh, hunting season's around the corner, and uh, as Steve has already said, football season is here. It's uh, funny, one of our young guys last week said, you know, uh, with football having started yesterday, because there was week zero last week, and he's like, I was so surprised to go the entire morning without you mentioning college football. So this is for James Ambrose, just mentioning college football, getting it out there. And, uh, but it is good to see you this morning. Uh, we're between series. If you notice, uh, we're not uh, in Second Timothy anymore. We finished that up last Sunday. And uh, next Sunday on the 8th, we're going to begin a new sermon series working through the book of Revelation. And I've titled that series, Get Ready. And uh, so I want you to get ready for us walking verse by verse over the next several months through the book of Revelation. But we will begin that next Sunday. It's going to be a great time. And I know the book of Revelation, apocalyptic language in general in the Bible, uh, perks a lot of attention. People begin to uh, get intrigued. They get excited. They want the answers to their questions uh, given to them, and I will say I will do my best to answer the questions that you have when it re as it regards to the end times, but uh, that's not really all of the focus of the book of Revelation. I believe the book of Revelation is preparing us for the end so that we will do something with our lives leading up to that. And so if you look there in the first three verses that we will study next Sunday, I believe the, the revelation of John there is speaking directly to us as the church, as believers, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our mouths to share the gospel because there will be a day when the Lord Jesus splits the eastern sky and what we know of this life will be over and eternity will begin. And so we want to be ready for that. Wasn't the music great this morning? It's always good to reflect and yes, give our worship team a hand for leading us so wonderfully. And uh, it's always good to, uh, to be able to worship the Lord and, and sing songs that have such rich uh, theology that really are just uh, sweet to our souls and refreshing to our, our hearts and our minds. But have you ever wondered, go with me for a minute, have you ever wondered why we sing when the church gathers? Think about that for a moment. I mean, it's, it, it's something that we customarily do. It's something that the church has historically done. But why? Why do we see the early church gathering and singing songs together? For that matter, why did the people of Israel, when they would ascend to the temple and, and to offer their sacrifices, why would they sing? If you read the book of the Psalms, you will see there many of those Psalms have a title to them, a song of ascent. That means that they would sing this as they went to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Why do we sing? What is it about singing that is important? And what is it about singing that ministers to our heart? What is it about singing that pleases the Lord? Why do we sing when we gather? Why do we make it a part of our normal church service experience? I, I bet uh, if we came in here on a typical Sunday morning and, and we expected to, to experience what we usually experience and we just kind of cut out the music, you would have some questions about that, wouldn't you? Why, Pastor, why aren't we singing today? 
Why aren't we doing this today? I mean, it would be almost like if we cut out the preaching. So why do we sing? Why is it that we lift our voices and sing when we gather together? We don't do this in other venues and at other events in our culture, do we? I mean, we may have a song here or there in certain sporting events. We may sing the national, national anthem or we may... Uh, stand up during the seventh inning stretch and have the customary baseball song, but when we go to a lecture or a political speech or things of that nature, we don't sing, but yet we do that when this church gathers together. Here's a statement that I came across this week. Sidney Lanier said this, music is, a, it, music is love in search of a word. It's love in search of a word. You see, when we sing when we gather because we have a common love. Our love is for the Lord Jesus. Because we love Jesus, our hearts can't do anything but sing. Inhabitants of heaven sing and worship the Lord. We see this all throughout the scripture. Specifically, we see it in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. But when the creatures of heaven, when they see the glory of God, their first and initial Step their, their initial reaction is to worship and to make much of the Lord. It's true of us as well. Charles Landon has rightly said, music is God's gift to man. It's the only art of heaven given to earth and the only art of earth we take to heaven. We sing because God is worthy of it. The church sings because we love Jesus, and we sing because music is that beautiful gift of expression that God has given to us to give back to the Lord a blessing. And I love music, and I love to sing, though I do not do my name justice. I know the younger folks in our church don't maybe not make the connection between James Taylor and a singer. I was at Apple last year, last fall, I believe. I went over there to take my phone to get it repaired, and I walk in, and I... Uh, I talked to the, little, the young lady there who was checking people in. I said, I'm James Taylor. I'm here for an appointment. And she giggled. When I was younger, I, I used to get this all the time. Oh, I love your music. I love your albums. You're the best. And are you named after the singer? I'm like, no, I'm James Taylor III. I'm named after my dad who's named after my grandpa. But she chuckled. And so I thought it was going to be the same old song and dance, the same old joke. I love your music. And so I said, oh, you like my music. And she just looked at me with this blank stare of like, what are you talking about? At that moment, I felt my age. <laughs> she had no idea who James Taylor, the folk singer, is. Come to find out, there was another associate by the same name, and she thought that was funny. <laughs> but I do love to sing. This past week, I started listening to the music of, I guess, an up-and-coming Christian band. Its name, they're known as Cochran and Company. And uh, I want you to listen to the lyrics from a song that they sing called Grave. It's on the screen for us. This is the second verse and then the chorus. It says, if it wasn't for the breaking, I would never know the men. I wouldn't know the sweetness of freedom if I didn't know my sin. If there hadn't been forgiveness that covered all my shame, oh, I'd still be a debtor if he didn't take my place. If there hadn't been a grave, if there hadn't been a cross, my heart would still be buried and my soul would still be lost. If there hadn't been a Savior who died to make a way, I'd still be a dead man if there hadn't been a grave powerful song magnifies the sweetness and the grace of the gospel message. It reminds the singer of how good God has been to sinners. Think about what God has done for us. He's made a way where there is no way, where there was no way. We have been and are separated in our sin. 
that Jesus, God the Son, has made a way. Draws you in to worship the Lord. It leads me to, to then wonder, how can we, how could anyone for that matter, not worship the Lord when you think about what He's done for us. The grace found in the gospel. But then I'm reminded that music is love in search of a word. You see, we want to worship and we want to praise Jesus because he's changed our lives. The reason we get enraptured in the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning and we listen to those lyrics that we're voicing, the reason our hearts begin to beat within us and we begin to, to just feel this overwhelming, gleeful, and, and worshipful uh, experience is not because the rhythm of the music. It's because we are falling in love with Jesus when we once again realize what he's done for us. That's why we sing. That's why there's a song in our heart. It's not true of every other person. God is worthy of all worship. The Bible tells us that He is the creator of all things, and He deserves, as so, the, the worship of every person. And so men and women and boys and girls will not worship and praise the Lord until their lives have been changed. That's what leads us to worship and sing songs. It's here that we understand the First place that evangelism and missions must have in the life of the Christ follower. You see, God sends you and me out to declare the gospel. He sends us out to point lost sinners back to Him as the only one who can, who can feed and feel that longing within their hearts. He's the only one who can cause us to worship Him. And He's the only one worthy of glory. And so what we see is that the end of missions leads us back to worship. The end of missions is worship. You may ask, why do we do evangelism? Why do we, uh, as a church, talk a lot about sharing our faith with our neighbors and the nations? Why do we send teams to get on airplanes and spend lots of money to go overseas? Why do we do all of this? It comes back to worship. God is worthy of the worship of every person. Therefore, we go to all people. The end of missions is worship. We realize that God is worthy of the glory of everyone. And so we go to the nations and we go to the neighbors. God sends us out as his missionaries. You see, when a sinner is saved, that person has a new song to sing and then a mission to fulfill. Gospel proclamation or evangelism, it's the privilege and the responsibility of every Christian. I want you to understand that this morning. We talk a lot about this, but I want you to understand it and grasp it. It is the responsibility and the privilege of every person who names the name of Jesus. It's not a professional job for a few trained men, but it is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs, even in the most modest way, to the company of Jesus. In case you don't believe me, I want you to hear from God's Word. And so if you will, take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to quickly look at verses 14 through 17. And then I want to walk us through what I've shared with you before, how you can practically pray for lost people and share the gospel with lost people. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this, to the church at Corinth. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. 
Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Lord Jesus, this morning I ask that you will help us on this first Sunday of our new church year to be reminded and encouraged and challenged to be a gospel preacher where we live and where we work and where we play. Lord, I pray that we would hear and heed the words of Paul here, that we would be encouraged and exhorted in our faith to live on mission, to carry out the mission of Christ in our own lives. Lord, help us to see that it is our responsibility individually, our responsibility corporately as a church, as well as our privilege to do so. So God, encourage us and bless us and use us. I pray that the year of 2019-2020 for Red Lane Baptist Church would be a year like none other. That God, we would see lives change, families put back together. God, that we would see more dollars go to the mission field, more people sent, that we would see things happen for the glory of God that we would only have dreamed of until now. Lord, speak to us through your word. May your spirit encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul here, in writing this letter, and specifically in this short passage here, he rejoiced that the gospel had changed people's lives. I mean, everywhere he went, he saw the gospel change people's lives, and he rejoiced in that. He, he took glory and, and, and satisfaction in the fact that when he went to Troas and when he went to Ephesus and when he went anywhere, Philippi, and preached and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that lost men, women, and children were saved. If we were to go back to verse 12, there he pointed out that his purpose for going to Troas was to preach the gospel. Here in verse 14, however, Paul changes his pronoun usage from a singular one, and now he begins to use a plural pronoun. Now he's going to include the church at Corinth at large, as well as us. Because what the, what the Word of God is saying here to these specific people, is, it's also saying to us today. He wanted the Corinthians to understand that evangelism was not the responsibility of what we might call hired guns. It wasn't just the responsibility of the Apostle Paul or of Barnabas or of Peter or of James or Silas or Titus or Timothy or even of Apollos. It was the responsibility of everybody in the church. We all have a part to play. We all have a spot on the team. We're not as Christians to sit in the stands of the Almighty. We're to be on the field where the game is being played. So it's our responsibility and our privilege to participate in this mission. Here and there. We're on mission for Christ together. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about carrying out the mission how do we do that? How can we participate in this? Two ways that I want to uh, point out, two things that I want to point out, then I want to practically uh, give you some, some ways and some uh, encouragement of how to share your faith uh, each and every day. So carrying out the mission is going to require two things that we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. First of all, it's going to require of us to live a life that reflects Christ, Right? It's been said many times that I'd rather hear a sermon than, or see a sermon than hear a sermon any day. How, well, I'm not even going to ask you. I was going to be ignorant and say, how many of you would say that? I'd rather see a sermon, but that would offend me, and I would be very upset. And my you know, self-esteem's low today. I need you. To, I'm just kidding. But the truth is, we really want and we really need to hear 
and to see a sermon. We need both. Our life must, must back up what our proclamation is. Our life must reflect the life of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here in verses 15 and 16 is this. He's reminding us that the way we live our lives matter. He says we are an aroma. People are watching our lives. People are watching your life. The people who live on your street, the people who work with you, the people who go to class with you, they're watching your life. You may be the only Bible that they ever read. And so what kind of Bible are you being? They're watching. They're observing. To use the language of Paul here in these verses, they're smelling the sin of your life. So what do you smell like? What's your scent today? Power, this, the sense of smell is a powerful thing. Think about it. Uh, there's nothing like the smell of fresh baked bread. There's nothing like the smell of grandma's apple pie or peach cobbler or whatever your fancy is. There's nothing like that. You walk into grandma's house, especially around Thanksgiving, and you open the door and the scent just draws you in. Amen? I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Scent is a powerful thing. It, uh, when I was... Growing up, there used to be a barbecue place in, uh, in northwest Arkansas, uh, and you would drive down the highway, and they burned hickory wood every day, and so you, I mean, you just smelled that hickory smoke coming, you knew that man, dinner's on, and so it just drew you in, you wanted to go eat, you might have just eaten at, at, uh, at, at the cafeteria, you might have been down to pizza, wherever you might have had lunch, and you drive by, and you smell that hickory smoke, and you immediately think, I want some barbecue, I want some food, I'm not quite full. The power of scent is amazing. At the same time, it may be beautiful, but it can also be repugnant. The scent of a skunk when you're on the road. Trash, roadkill, all of that, it just repels you, right? And so that's what Paul is saying here. He says that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So to those who are saved, we are a fragrance from life to life. To those who are Dead in their sins, we're a fragrance of death to death. To one, it's pushing you away. To the other, it's drawing you in. Paul says here that this is what our Christian lives do. Some people will smell the sin of your Christian life and be drawn closer to Jesus. Others will smell it and be repelled. The response of others is not our concern. Our responsibility is to allow our lives to reflect Christ, and it will smell differently to different people. But we want to reflect Jesus. We don't want to give a false impression of who Jesus is and what he can do and wants to do in a person's life. We want to live holy, and then others will respond in accordance to that. We carry out the mission by living lives that reflect Jesus. But that's not all. He goes on to tell us that it will require us to speak words that point to Christ. See, we want to live out a good sermon, but a sermon's not a sermon if there's not words. So we must speak words that point to Christ. Verse 17, he goes on at the very end. He says, we speak in Christ. We want our lives to reflect and smell like Jesus. But when it comes down to it, we have to open our mouths and voice the gospel. Paul here adds to the believer's sin the responsibility of speaking the gospel to lost sinners. Reflection in our lives is paramount. But if there's no proclamation of the gospel, it will not be a completely 
reflection of who Jesus is. People may see that you live differently than them, but they, and they may even admire you, but until you voice the gospel, they don't know what makes the difference. They may think that Dr. Phil helped you with some self-help points. They don't know that it's Jesus. They may think you got it in a book. They may think you got it from Buddhism. They don't know that it's Jesus that changed your life. So we have to proclaim and tell them who the difference maker is. Is. We must tell them who the one is who chains, or whose chains have been broken because of Jesus. And so, how do we do this? There are two things that we need to do. Pray and share. Pray and share. Prayer should encompass every area of our lives. It, it, think about it. It's God who draws people to himself. It's not us. It's not us. Uh, if you're going back to the, the, the text here, he says that our life, when we're walking with Jesus, is going to smell like life to some. It's going to smell like death to others. What do you mean by that, Paul? Paul's saying this, that the person who's, who, who God is working in, they're either a believer or God is drawing them to himself, that person's going to look at your life, going to hear the gospel that you're sharing, and is going to see and smell in you the, the aroma of Christ, and it's going to be like life to them, right? To the person who's far from God, who's dead in sin, separated from God, wanting nothing to do with God, and God is not awakening them to himself, that person's going to see and smell your life and say, that smells nothing other than death. Right? So how do we get involved in sharing the gospel? We need to start with prayer. We need to pray and ask God to, to move in the lives of people. He's the one who awakens and quickens the spirit. And so we should begin with prayer. We should have a strategic plan for praying for people in our circles of influence. You ought to have people you're praying for in your uh, family. You should have people you're praying for in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school. You need to have a list that you're routinely praying through and asking God to move in their lives. Back in January, January, we introduced you as a church to an incredible tool that helps us to do what we're talking about. To pray and to share the gospel. It's called Bless Every Home. And all throughout our state, uh, churches in our convention are, and many others are utilizing this tool. And so you can go to our website and you can click the banner that it'll take you to Bless Every Home's website where you can sign up and register. And then you need to get in it and connect your account to our church's account. But what that does is it helps you to tangibly become a light in your neighborhood. And you'll begin to see people who live around you. It'll give you their names, and you'll be, be able to pray for them specifically. And then you sign up, and you get emails, probably like me, five days a week. You'll get an email Monday through Friday with five names or five homes to pray for. And that allows you to know who lives in your neighborhood because many of us don't know who lives in our neighborhood. You might live in your community for 30 years, but because of our big lots and all this and the culture change, you just don't know who lives there. And so you've got a name to pray for. And then you begin to walk your neighborhood or drive your neighborhood or get outside of your, your uh, normal habit. You begin to meet people. And then you begin to serve them. Then you begin to win the opportunities to share the gospel with them. And so if you have not signed up for Bless Every Home, I wanted you to do that today. Here's something that we don't say much. I know you're probably on your phone looking at the Bible and surely not surfing the internet or looking at Facebook. You guys wouldn't do that. I know you're very attentive to the Word of God. But uh, even now, I would encourage you to go to blesseveryhome.com. And if you haven't registered, go ahead and register so you don't forget. But this is a great tool to help us Pray specifically and strategically for our neighbors. 
we pray for lost people, but we have to share the gospel with lost people as well. Two years ago, this month, we spent three Sundays working through a, or an evangelistic strategy or a way to share your faith called Three Circles. And I want us to walk through that again this morning in the remainder of my time. I, I, I want to, again, remind you of how you can very easily share the gospel with people. It, it's simple. It's not hard. In fact, this, this strategy is very conversational. It's very relational. You could sit down with someone over a cup of coffee, have them into your house, have a meal, and, and dessert, or however you want to do it, there with a napkin or a piece of paper, or even use the app that's provided. On your phone, walk through three circles, share the gospel with them, and lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not rocket science. Any rocket scientists in here? No. Uh, Karen and I actually have friends where the wife is a rocket scientist because we lived in Alabama, and you know NASA's in Huntsville, and so uh, we have a good friends that are rocket scientists. And so when I would make that statement, I could say, I know a rocket scientist. She's brilliant. But uh, the gospel is is easy it's simple and yet profound so let's walk through these three circles on your bulletin in your bulletin I've included here uh, a copy of what the three circles looks like and so if you just want to take a pen and uh, in the three circles write out what they're going to be as I lay them before you and then even on the arrows you'll see through the slides of what should be there but it's a very easy and tangible way to share your faith with people who need to hear about Jesus. And so, uh, when we're having a conversation with someone, and uh, you just, you know, in conversation, talk about where they're at spiritually. And then you try to lead them to what the Word of God has to say about their life. So maybe they're struggling, maybe they're hurting, whatever the issue is, then you, you want to just lead them in some sort of transition statement of, can I share with you what the Bible has to say about life? Uh, you know, I know you're struggling, now you're having a hard time, no life's not been easy for you, and, and the Bible, in fact, tells us that life's not going to be easy, because we got a problem. And so can I share with you what the Bible has to say with that? And they'll say, yeah, I'd like that, I'd like to know uh, something that can help me. And so you just draw on that first circle, God's design. And you talk about how mankind, according to the Bible, is the pinnacle of God's creation. There in Genesis 1 and 2, God laid out for us how man was created, how the earth was created, how the universe was created. And what we see in the very beginning is that God's design was perfect and good. In fact, over and over again in Genesis 1, we see that when he created something, he would pronounce over it that this is good. In fact, when he created man, he said this is very good. God perfectly designed each and every one of us. His design was for us to walk and to talk with Him, just like Adam and Eve did. The Bible says that God used to come walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam would meet Him there, and they would have good talk. And yet what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve departed from that good design that God had created them for. Adam and Eve thought that they knew what was best, and so they wanted to do, live life their way instead of living life God's way, and the Bible calls this sin. The Bible tells us that, that when Adam and Eve took of that fruit from the tree that God told them not to eat from, in that moment they died, they were separated from God. They fell short of God's perfect design for their life. Sin and rebellion created brokenness in their lives because sin always leads to brokenness, and that's when you go to that second circle. Sin always leads to brokenness. God has a perfect design for our life. Adam and Eve 
destroyed that design when they rebelled against God and disobeyed Him. And because of that act, their lives and everyone who has come after them is now in a state of brokenness. We know what brokenness feels like, don't we? We see it all around us. Brokenness feels like broken relationships. Discord and disharmony within families and even marriages and friendships. Brokenness looks like addiction where people are addicted to alcohol and drugs and sex and money and anything and everything that's out there. Brokenness looks like depression, which is uh, perhaps at an all-time high in the world today. It looks like discouragement and fear, guilt and shame. That's what brokenness looks like. That's what it feels like. And, And so we can recognize the brokenness in our lives because we see it in ourselves. And we all want out of our brokenness. The squiggly lines there coming off the brokenness, you can draw those in, and that's, that's uh, you and I, that's us trying to get out of our brokenness. We try to fix ourselves, and so we, we will try new things. We'll try a, a s- seven steps to whatever, or we will maybe even go to church and be religious. We do what we can and anything that we can to get out of our brokenness, to put our pieces back together again. Brokenness may seem like a bad thing, but and it is a bad thing, but in one way, it's a good way, a good thing. It gets our attention. It helps us to understand that something is wrong. Something needs to be changed. And so it puts us on a course to find a solution to the brokenness in our lives. God begins to use that in us. And he leads us to the third circle, which is the gospel. We can't do anything to change our brokenness, but the Bible tells us that we're, there is good news. And the word the Bible uses for good news is the word gospel. That's what it simply means. And the gospel is that God made a way out of our brokenness. You see, when Adam rebelled against God, when Adam rebelled against God's word, his relationship with God was severed. Genesis 3 lays that out. The intimacy that Adam once enjoyed ceased as he and Eve hid in the bushes. As soon as they ate that fruit, they knew that something was wrong. The Bible tells us that they felt shame and guilt. They realized that they were naked up until that, up until that point. They, there was no need for clothing. There was no need from an uh, environmental standpoint for clothing. There was neither hot nor cold. It was perfect. There was no need for clothing because of what someone else may say or think because there was no shame. There was no guilt. But as soon as they ate that fruit... Everything changed with them vertically, and everything changed with them horizontally. The relationship with husband and wife changed. The relationship with God and create, create creature changed. And so when God came, as he always did, to fellowship with them, what do we find Adam and Eve doing? Hiding in the bushes, having covered themselves with fig leaves. Brokenness. And yet we see a picture of the gospel in the fact that God still came to them. He goes on in that chapter to curse the serpent for his participation in Adam's fall. He also curses the man and the woman, but in the curse, he brings the gospel message. In Genesis 3.15, he talks about someone who's going to come from the descendants of Eve who's going to crush the head of the serpent who has deceived them. It's the first prophecy of a Messiah. It's the first of many prophecies to come. And Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of them. He is the offspring of the one who crushed the enemy by bruising 
or even as his heel is being bruised. And so this gospel story in Adam and Eve's lives does not end there. In fact, in Genesis 3.21, the Bible tells us that God took what I believe to be lambs, and he killed the animals, and he took from them the hides, and he made coverings for the man and the woman. He covered their sin. It's symbolic of what Jesus would ultimately do. Blood was shed for the remission of sins, to cover those sins. So we see here what we might call the first gospel. This act foreshadowed the sacrificial system that was instituted by Moses. God makes a way out of our brokenness. That is the gospel message. Makes a way by shedding his own blood. He experienced death, Jesus did, by paying a debt he did not owe so that we could be free of a debt we could not pay. And so how do we receive this good news? How do we come into relationship with Jesus Christ? There's another arrow that comes from brokenness to gospel, and it's this. We must repent and believe. We must Repent, that means simply turn. If I was to be headed in this direction and somebody said, hey, dude, you're going the wrong way, I would turn and I would go the other way. That is a, that is a sign of repentance. It is a 180 turn in a person's life. It's realizing that I've been living for self and sin, and that's not the way to God and the life he has for me. I must turn from that, and I must walk toward God. I must repent of my sin. But in my repentance... I'm also believing in Jesus. Because if I were able to simply no longer sin and there was nothing else, I would still be under the condemnation of my sin because I have already sinned, right? So there has to be something else involved. So I must believe in Jesus. I must believe in what he did on the cross for me by paying the penalty for my Sin. So I'm turning from sin and self, I'm turning to Jesus, and as I turn to Jesus, I'm believing on Him and what He's done for me. He went to the cross, shed His innocent blood, paid the penalty that I owed and could not pay so that I could be free. The Bible explains it this way, we have taken on His righteousness and He has taken on our sin. There's a big transaction that takes place. Amen? Everybody with me? You're thinking, man, if I have to say all this, I don't think I'm going to ever share the gospel with anybody. I'm saying a lot that you may not say the first time you share the gospel with somebody, but as you continue to have the conversation, you need to know how to articulate the gospel. You need to be able to articulate what the Bible says about a person's life. So get the notes. You can get our, the PDF from all of the messages here uh, on our website, on the media page, and so just... Uh, study it, look at it. I would encourage you to go back to uh, September of 2017 and look at those three messages there where I preach very specifically through these three circles and it will, it will be a great help and a great encouragement to you. So we must repent and believe. We change our direction and we believe on Christ and come into relationship with, with Him. What happens then when I repent and believe the gospel? We're now in a place, because Jesus has changed our lives, because that's what he says. If we will turn from our sins, he'll forgive us. If we will trust Jesus, he will forgive us. So now we've come into relationship with him, and now we're on another path, a, the path back to where God originally designed us. So now we're able to pursue and experience all that God 
has for us in his original design for our lives. So click the button there. Yeah. We're able to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. That, that's what God wants us to do. That's what he wants to see in us. He doesn't want to see a struggle in our life. He doesn't want to see a struggle and be bogged down with our sin. He doesn't want to see you continually falling to addiction after addiction after addiction. He wants to see you live in the peace, the harmony, the goodness that you were created to enjoy. You can't do that without Jesus. Does this mean you're going to be sinless? No, not at all. But it does mean now you're on a a trajectory of sanctification where you're being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And so until death, you're on that path to sanctification or unless Jesus comes back and then you're glorified. Then you're everything, you get to experience everything God originally had for you. And so when you're sharing the gospel, you talk about God's design, you talk about brokenness, and you talk about the gospel. God desires for every resident, I want you to hear this, every resident in our neighborhoods. Think about where you live this morning. The person lives on your left, the person that lives on your right, the person that lives down the road, the person that lives on the street behind you. God desires for everyone in our neighborhoods to know him. He desires for everyone in the county of Powhatan or Chesterfield or Cumberland or or Goochland, wherever you may come from, God desires for them to know him. Everyone in the Commonwealth of Virginia, everyone in the nation that we live in, everyone in the nations of this world, God desires to be in relationship with himself. And so we as Christians also want them to be saved. That's why it's important to be able to conversationally share our faith with others. We want everyday conversations to be able to be turned into gospel conversations. Even when you're talking about college football around the water cooler this week at work. How can I transition my conversation into a gospel conversation? I'm not talking about being weird and over-spiritualizing everything. But just prepare. Listening. Be attentive. Being sensitive to the Spirit's movement in a person's life. So that when you hear something or you, you sense something, you're ready to share the gospel with them. You won't be ready to share the gospel with them if you're not first praying for them. I can, I can promise you that. And so who, who's your one? Who's your five? Who's your ten that you're strategically praying for on a regular basis and seeking to share the gospel with? It all begins with prayer. Praying for God, for, for far from God people to be drawn to Jesus. And then as we pray for them, God softens their heart, gives them more... Uh, more uh, sensitivity to the things that we would want to share with them, gives us more spiritual sensitivity to what we're hearing and seeing in them, and gives us a desire to share the gospel. If you don't know a person's name, you're probably not going to care much about where they're going to spend eternity. So pray for them. It's the mission of every Christian, the mission of every church to do this. Here's a question, trivia question for you. Have you noticed that, at least for this summer, I can't remember when I started, but it was June, May, maybe even 1st of April. But I've been concluding every Sunday morning with the three circles. Have you noticed that? I talk about bad news, good news, and best news. What's the bad news? Or, or I should say, what's the good news? The good news is we are all designed by God. 
God designed us to be perfectly in to, to perfectly relate to Him. There's no other creature, no other aspect of creation that can experience what we get to experience. God perfectly designed us. God perfectly put us in this world so that we would have all that He desires to give us and bless us with. Ultimately, a relationship with Himself. That is the good news that the Bible tells us. But then I go in and I talk about this bad news, and the bad news is the brokenness of our lives, the sin that separates us from God, the sin that trips us up and continues to destroy us and destroy our culture. And I talk then about the best news, and the best news is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we've been separated by God, from, separated from God by our sin, but the best news is, is that Jesus, God the Son, came to die in our place to then bring us back to Jesus, to the design ultimately for our lives. Every week I do that. I conclude the message. I sum it up with the gospel message. Why would I do that every single week? Here's the reason. If you've been paying attention, you hopefully have gotten this. I want you to be able to share the faith with others. I also use it because I'm summing up the gospel. Because every single Sunday, more than likely, there's someone in here who needs to respond to Jesus in faith. There's someone in here that's wrestling with sin, that are literally, as the Bible says, dead in sins and trespasses, separated from God, on their way to hell. And so they need to hear that God has good news for them, that he loves them, he created them, he wants to be in a relationship with them, but they need to know the bad news that sin has destroyed all of that desire that God has for them. And yet the best news is they can get out of that horrible predicament, not because they're good enough or try hard enough, but only because God has done everything necessary, and so they need to come to Jesus. So I share that good news, bad news, best news, so that lost people can be saved, but also so lost people can share the gospel with lost people. Um, I said that wrong. Saved people can share the gospel with lost people. You were tracking with me, right? You, you know what I said. You knew what I said. And so this morning, what do we do with this? On the first Sunday of our new church year, the first Sunday in what we, I guess, can say is the beginning of fall and, and the beginning of our school year. And so many beginnings are starting today. What do we do with this? in our own personal lives? What do we do with it in our families? What do we do with it in our church? Let's pray for people, and let's share the gospel with people. Let's use Bless Every Home to pray for our neighbors and, and, and build relationships with our neighbors. I would encourage you not to go with them and say, hey, man, I, I saw your name on this website that I've got, and uh, so Susie lives here with I wouldn't do that. That's kind of creepy, uh, stalkerish. But it allows you to pray for them before you may ever have met them. So don't be creepy. <laughs> my, one of my little girls has a book called Creepy Carrots. Don't be a creepy carrot that follows people around if you've seen that book. Don't be that. But pray for them. And then little by little, serve them and look for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Open your mouth, voice the gospel, and just see what the Spirit of God does through you in their lives. It'll change them. It really will. Changed you, right? You remember what you were like before Jesus? Some of you got to go way back, 40, 50, 60 years or more. Do you remember what Jesus did for you? Some of you, it's been recent. If he did it for you, he'll do it for someone else. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you that the gospel is still the power of God, as Paul said, unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's anyone and everyone in this world. It doesn't matter what 
color you are. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up. It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank. It doesn't matter what your last name is. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, I pray that we as a church, the people who are born again, followers of Jesus Christ, our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They're no longer held over our head. We're no longer under its condemnation. God, I pray that we would go to the lost people of this world, to the marginalized. God, I pray that we would go to the least of these tell them about Jesus and what he's done for us. God, that we would be able to weave our story into your story and let you change and make a new story for them. This morning in this room, it's a good possibility that someone needs their story to change today. Lord, they've heard about this good news and bad news and best news. They've heard about God's design and how you created them for yourself. Colossians 1.16, I've been made by God and for God. They realize, perhaps for the first time, that they're a sinner. That they do wrong because they are wrong. They sin because they are a sinner. It's their nature. That sin separates them from a holy creator who loves them. Lord, they're beginning to understand the best news of all even in our sin we can be forgiven even in our separateness we can be brought near even in our rebellion and rejection we can be forgiven and renewed so Lord I pray for that man woman, the teenager, the child today that needs to say yes to Jesus God may today be as the Bible would say the day of salvation for them Today they would say, you know what, I, I want to talk more about this. I want to give my life to Jesus. So as we have a time of response in just a moment, give them the boldness and the courage to come forward. God, I remember those days. I remember thinking, if I can just get through the invitation, I, I'll be fine. This overwhelming feeling of guilt will go away, and I'll be okay. But God, I'm grateful. Although I wanted to, to get past it and get away from you, you never wanted to get past it and get away from me. So you kept, you kept pursuing me. The hounds of heaven were on my trail. There in April of 1997, I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm grateful for that. May that be true of someone even this morning. church and, and beginning to grow in this new faith of theirs, God, being discipled and sharing the gospel.
and others. I pray for amazing things in our fellowships. The Powhatan and surrounding areas would never be the same because we have committed ourselves to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. Bless us. Continue to speak to us. Help us respond this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.